Who is wise? The one who learns from others. Welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. This is a podcast where long-form conversation allows us to connect with those who inspire us beyond small talk and social media posts we're bombarded with on a daily basis. Join me on a journey where I speak to people from all backgrounds with different perspectives, each sharing their stories, struggles, and successes. Be a part of a community where you connect to something greater than yourself. I'm your host, Karen Corin, and welcome to Soul Sessions with KK. We often have an idea in our head of what a person with an eating disorder looks like, or we think that there must have been something external that contributed to the eating disorder. In this episode, episode 48, I sit down with Barbara Schiffer and she proves otherwise. Barbara grew up in a normal home where there was no body shaming, nor any comments about food. Barbara takes us inside her complicated internal world and shows us that many of her issues stemmed from having an addictive personality. How did a simple and harmless diet turn into a full-blown eating disorder? Does one ever fully recover? Barbara takes us along her bumpy ride of her eating disorder, rehab, and sobriety. I challenge you to listen to this interview with an open mind and an open heart. Barbara may not dress or observe like you, but she is still a Jew who believes in God and the Torah. Just a reminder, if you or anyone you know might be suffering from an eating disorder, please get immediate help. And without further ado, I would love to introduce Barbara Schiffer. I am so excited to share my next guest with all of you. Her name is Barbara Schiffer, and I discovered her account when I was scrolling through Mimo Maxi stories, and I was fascinated by the depth of her journey. Barbara Schiffer is here with us today to speak about something very important, and I'm going to stop talking because I want her to introduce herself. Barbara, welcome to the show. Hi. It's so funny that you found me through Mimi's stories. I adore her. She's incredible. And their clothes are great. Yes, they are. And I'm wearing her scarf. Incredible. They're they're great. Yeah, I'm so glad you found my account through that. Um, my account is kind of just my, I guess, online journaling of my process of being in eating disorder recovery and being sober and just kind of my mental health journey through it all and has also very recently become a very like um outspoken place of like being unapologetically Jewish and Israeli and things like that so it's been a really cool journey yeah yeah so your account is not like a lot of the accounts I follow where you speak a lot about these topics that most people usually don't want to talk about because they want to, you know, show the sunshine and the highlights and look at the new clothes I bought. But there's snippets of these vulnerable moments, these raw moments. So can you just start off by saying like how you grew up, 
your Jewish journey, where did you, where'd you grow up, all of that? Yeah, so I grew up in a suburb of Baltimore, so in Maryland. Jewish-wise, I grew up in, a, in the conservative movement. I did the conservative youth groups. I did USY. I was on my chapter's board. I was, like, very involved. I had a bat mitzvah. After high school, I went to college for a year. And in the middle of that year, I ended up on, very accidentally ended up on a Kirov trip to Israel. What, a birthright trip? No, I ended up on a trip through Olami and Aish. I used uh, to work for Aisha Torah, by the way. That's so funny. So I ended up on Rabbi Benzion Klatsko's trip to Israel. Yes, I know him. Nice. Everyone knows Rabbi Klatsko. Yes, I ended up on Rabbi Klatsko's trip. Great yeah. guy, great rabbi. I ended up on his trip completely by accident. I had done my birthright trip. I and I wanted to be back in Israel. And um, trips to Israel are expensive, like they are. And oh, his yeah. trip was within my budget. And I decided to go. And um, I knew I wanted to go back. And so I finished out my year of college. And then over the summer, I went back to Israel and I learned. I've, I learned at Neve after my trip with Rabbi Klatsko. And then the following summer, I learned at Sharim, which is like mm, two blocks down the mountain from Neve. At the end of that summer, I, I, yeah, I decided that I wanted to be in Israel. So I moved there and made Ali at 20 by myself. Okay, I had no idea. I made Ali at 20. That's fascinating. <laughs> My, my journey with Judaism and Israel is insane. Um, I moved to Israel. I was very much religious, very much within the religious community. I felt Sharim is very mainstream yeshivish. They claim not to be. They claim they don't have a hushkafa. It's very mainstream yeshivish, whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And I love the people who work there with everything in me. I was there for a while. I... Well, Israel. you're not in Israel now. So what happened? <laughs> so I'm not. It's true. Um, I was in Israel. I, had, I was working at a preschool and I had gotten engaged and it did not work out. And after that, I decided that I like needed a break. I was like, I need a break from Israel. I need to get out of here. Like, and I was, so it was like 2019. So I was going to backpack. Southeast Asia because that's what young Israelis do when they don't know what to do with themselves is they go back to Southeast Asia. Yeah. And I was like, I'm technically a young Israeli, like legally. I'm going to go back to Southeast Asia. And I, huge proponent of therapy. I was talking to my therapist about it and she was like, yeah, like you could do that. Or you could come back to America and like work on all your problems and like get it together. And I was like, that sounds like a terrible plan. I want to go to Southeast Asia. Can we backtrack? Yes. Can we backtrack a bit? Okay. Because you were saying that the therapist that you were speaking to was saying like, Barbara, do you want to come back so we can work out through yeah. all your problems, right? What kinds of problems were you experiencing even before you made Aliyah to Israel or even before you went yeah. on this Kirov trip? I basically at like 14 decided that I like wanted to lose weight, which is like a very normal adolescent girl, like uncomfortable with herself, like middle school sucks for everyone. I've never met anyone who peaked in middle school. If you did, that's great. I did not peak in middle school. I decided I was going to go on a diet and like. 
were your friends going on diets? Like, why no. did you feel? They, no, my friends weren't at the time weren't. What um, do you think contributed to your bad body image? I think, you know, like I was a gymnast growing up. I was, compet- I was a competitive gymnast for a really long time. I, and I think just honestly, like to a certain extent, just like, just being, just being a girl, like just being an adolescent girl. And what was it like at home? My home life was, I had a like very normal childhood. My parents are still together. I have two younger siblings. Um, I had like a very standard upbringing, like very just like we, I went to school. I did after school activities. I like, like that was it. Like I had a very normal standard. Apparently has their problems, but like across the board, like I had a very normal, like right so it wasn't like you grew up in a household where they were constantly let's say berating you or telling you you shouldn't eat this you shouldn't eat that you need to lose weight there wasn't any of that no um my dad has been like was like a pretty chronic dieter in my early childhood but like it was never it wasn't about me like it was never I was never necessarily in the crossfire of it. It was his thing. He didn't Um, like bring you into his diet. He kind of just did his own thing. And maybe you watched it from the sidelines. Right. Right. So I went on this diet. And what I can say now is that like, I have a very naturally addictive personality, which some people like the terminology of that and some people don't. I'm I'm like, that's fine. Um, And so I'm very prone to taking things to extremes. Um, And so that is exactly what happened. I went on this diet and it quote unquote, like worked. Like it did what my plan was. My plan was to lose weight and I lost the weight. And um, when I turned, when I was 15, my pediatrician's office was, a little worried about the situation um and I went I was put into like an inpatient eating disorder unit and I was there and I did that every calendar year for a long time I went in in 2011 2012 2013 2015 2017 um so a lot so why were they concerned, Barbara? Because they saw that you lost a lot of weight? It's, yeah, I think part of it is the weight loss and part of it is just the way I was losing weight. Like the way, the amount of like food I was restricting and the amount of like nutrition my body was not receiving that it could have used at 14, 15, 16, 17. Did you know that you had a problem at that time or you thought you were just dieting? I... I just want everyone to leave me alone. Like, I was just like, this is my choice. This is my body. Like, I have the right to do with my body what I choose, um, which is still a stance I hold um, just differently. Like, now it's like, this is still my body. I still have the rights over it. But like, that doesn't necessarily mean that I get to destroy it. But as a teenager, like, that was like my stance on it was like, this is mine. Like, this is my body. This is my choice. If I want to destroy it, I can. Like, if I want to burn it to the ground, I absolutely can. And unfortunately, when you're a minor, people have control over you. And so that wasn't allowed. Um, right. 
Was your mom or dad concerned about you? Did they notice anything? I think they, they did their best with the limited information they had. And so they, you know, the first time, like when my pediatrician was like, this is a problem. They were like, okay, like we'll sign her in somewhere. And after that, when like, oh, wow. Right away. They they were like, yeah, they were like, okay, whatever. Or like after that, when I had a therapist and I had a dietitian, when they were like, no, you need to do this again. Like they put me back in. I don't think to this day, they're not great at picking up on like when things aren't going well or whatever, but like, they will be the first people who like, when my like therapist or someone is like, this isn't okay anymore. We'll be like, great, go. Like we'll sign the papers. We'll do the things like we'll buy insurance. Can't blame them for not knowing the signs of something that wasn't spoken about that much until 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Barbara, do you mind telling me which diet it was? Or- I was not following any specific diet. I a lot of books out there that are like eating disorder, basically like autobiographies of people who have had eating disorders and recovered or things like that. And I had read one and the woman who wrote it had like basically described um, what she was doing when she was still sick. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Like it just added up to me. Like I was like, you do this, this happens. And like, I was like, that's great. And like, in her story, she doesn't end up in the hospital or end up doing anything. And so I was like, this is fine. Like this is ideal. Um, And so for me, it was like just a lot of like counting calories and figuring things out that way. Like I never did a like, I never did like the whole 30 or the keto or any of that. Like I've never done any of that, which I think is so interesting because a lot of people I know with who've been to treatment centers, who've done things like that, like also don't do those things. We're like, why would we do that when we have our own like crazy set of rules that we set? Right. That's Uh. interesting. Very interesting. Barbara, do you feel like because you were a gymnast, you said you were a gymnast growing up and I've read a lot of stories and I've seen, I think way too many documentaries. There was actually like a Netflix documentary about a year ago about just like the culture of women who are in gymnastics and they train for it. Do you feel like the culture of gymnastics led you down this road? Um, I've, you know, I've debated that a lot. The culture of gymnastics is, is slowly changing, which is amazing. The girls who are currently taking over are incredible. Like, yes, and I think it definitely contributed. I don't know that anyone can run around in like a sparkly spandex leotard and not question what their body looks or things like that looks like. I can also say that like, it so much depends on the coaches you have and the teammates you have. Like I, when I switched gyms at some point and the coach that I had originally, I would definitely say would have contributed, had contributed to it. Um, but when I switched gyms, like I ended up, I like, the most supportive gym with the most incredible people who were just like, you know, like sports require eating, like sports require calories. They require things like that. And like, they were incredible. Um, So I think it really depends. I think, you know, like you've seen the documentaries, obviously like the culture of USA gymnastics in and of itself um, has a lot of problems to it. Yeah. Yeah. Back to, when you went to the pediatrician, they saw there was a problem. 
based, you thought you were just dieting, you know, just doing whatever you needed to do to change your body because it was your right, it was your body. And your parents, thank God, agreed to send you to a treatment center, which by the way, a lot of parents don't do that initially. They're yeah. in denial. They don't think their daughter has a problem. They think they're just dieting. No big deal. The doctor doesn't know what they're talking about. So I think it's amazing that your parents right away, even though they didn't notice, you know, before that you had all these warning signs, when the doctor told them they're right away, like, okay, we're doing this. We're going to get our daughter the help that she needs. You're not crazy. Like, we're going to do this. Did you think that it was an extreme like treatment because you thought you were just dieting. I really honestly went into that first treatment stay being like, everyone's crazy. Like I'm fine. This is insane. I, it was, yeah, I was just like, you all are nuts. Like, I don't have a problem. This is fine. Um, and I probably did my first, I would say my first two treatment stays. I was very much just like, I was 15 in the first one and 16 when I went again. And I was just like, everyone's crazy. Like, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Um, I'd say how much I can tell my third treatment stay for me to be like, okay, like maybe this is, maybe this is a problem. And how long were you in the treatment for each time? So they all depended. Um, most of them I'd say were about a month, month and a half, which is very impressive to be like locked in somewhere for a month and a half and still be right. like, I don't have a problem. Right. Uh, and like, what does your friends think about it? Did your friends know you were away? Were you public about it? I was much more public then than I think I would have, than I, than I would have chosen to be now. And at the same time, like being that public so early is what allows me to run my account now because I'm like, well, everyone already knows. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Like no one in my family, no one in my friend circle, no one who whatever is going to find my account and be like, I didn't know you had problems. Like there's no, you can't. Um, yeah. because, you know, when I was 15, 16, that's when like Facebook was first huge. So like, I had it all over my Facebook. Like I was like, so there's just no, yeah. Like everyone knew. Um, and I also would miss a month of school. And so everyone knew. Um, and you know, it was not my favorite adventure. It was very annoying. Um, in what way? I think, you know, in the same way that like being taken out of school for a month for anything is annoying at 15, 16, 17. Like I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to be living my life. And especially like being put in places when you're a minor, like I didn't have a say. Like yeah. I didn't get to be like, I want to be with my friends. I want, like, I couldn't say no because it wasn't my decision. And meanwhile, you know, I turned like 20 and like moved to the Middle East without anyone telling me what to do. <laughs> so I guess that really... <laughs> I was right. like, try and stop me. Okay. So every year since you were 15, you were going, you were doing this treatment plan. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty consistently. And what kind of things did they teach you and guide you about in this treatment plan? So every place is different. And I went to quite a few different places. But I mean, obviously, a main component is like 
becoming stable nutritionally and, you know, like making sure your body is getting what it needs and things like that. And then a lot of it is just therapy. A lot of it is group therapy. A lot of it is things like that. Um, like just various different types of group therapy and individual therapy. And like, it's basically just a month of being like, here's all my problems. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Right. Do you feel like anyone who has an eating disorder is rehab a must or can it be, can it be fixed with just going to a regular, you know, eating disorder therapist? I think, in your experience, I think, I think either one is possible. I think obviously if your physical health is at a point where you need to be hospitalized, then like, that's a different. Yeah, obviously. Right. Um, I think if that's not the case, there's an entire, um, therapy model called like family-based therapy, which is done usually with like adolescents and young adults and children who live at home with their parents still. Um, where you go to therapy and like your parents are in charge of your food and like it's a very it's a system so that you don't have to go into treatment centers in sort of treatment and awareness around it has changed so much in the last decade since I first got help and it's so different now and like there's so much more research happening and people talking about it and people posting on Instagram about it like it's much yeah. more open community now yeah um, and so I think so much of the reason that like I like myself and people I know are put into treatment right away is it's like, that's what they knew to do. Like someone has a problem and you like put them there and like they deal with it and like, that's what happens. And so I do think that it's entirely possible if you're medically stable and like, and that your like home environment is supportive, obviously. Yeah. That, like, do it outside of a treatment center. Um, I definitely think it's possible. Yeah. So right now, how old are you? I'm 25. So you're 25. Are you still doing treatment? Have you healed? What's going on with you now? I think I am in the process of healing. I don't know that I believe that there's a debate in the eating disorder world about whether or not there's a such thing as being like fully recovered or if you're always in recovery. Um, and this might be because I also am sober and like that being always in recovery is like very much a like sober community thing. I think for me, like I always kind of be in the process of healing. I still see a therapist. She is my therapist from the last one I was in rehab, like in treatment. And I think she's great. She like does not take any of my crazy. She's like, stop. And she's great. I still see a dietitian. Like I have put a lot of work into creating a life that I love living. And I've put a lot of work into quite honestly living this long. And I think for me, like being able to continuously be in that process of growth and in, in that process of healing and like getting to share it on the internet, essentially. Yeah. Is really powerful and like holds me very much accountable. You were saying that you grew up in a home where it was typical. Your parents weren't divorced. There were no really, there wasn't really any problems per se. I mean, everybody has challenges growing up, but it was just like typical childhood. It wasn't like anything triggered you to go on this path from your home. 
And also, it's not like you're quote unquote on the chubbier side where you felt like you needed to shed the weight because you kept getting remarks from you know strangers or peers. Oh, you're so fat or you're so this. It was kind of like it came from yourself in a way. Yeah, um, it definitely it definitely for me is was and is more of an internal dialogue. I think. Yeah, it definitely is. I and it's interesting to see that like that's just kind of like where my brain went, you know, like they say that like with eating disorder specifically, they say like genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Um, and so there's, there's like research studies going on now about like the genetics of like eating disorders and like how they're passed on and like things like that. And I think for me so much, but it was just like, I was a very anxious child. I'm still a very anxious person. I posted on my account today about the fact that like I take like I take medication like yes I saw that I appreciated that I my antidepressants hold my entire life together you know, how long was, have you been taking it for I've been this one's relatively new I switched meds during the pandemic um and but I've been on meds since I was 17 so like eight years um and like various different ones because you figure out what works and you change them and you do whatever but um I was so mad when I first got put on medication because I had been in treatment before that and no one was like, you need medication. And I was like, I obviously don't need medication. I definitely need medication. Um, but, you know, I was a very anxious child. I was very perfectionistic. I was very quick to give up on things that I wasn't good at and very like slightly obsessive like if I was reading like I read for like hours and hours and hours or like whatever it was and all of those kind of things came together and like you know I don't know what happened the day I went to the doc like the day I like weighed myself and decided I needed to lose weight but like whatever it was like all of those things just like came together mm -hmm. and like that's how I dealt with it because if I wasn't doing anything perfectly I was at least losing weight and if I wasn't I wasn't as anxious because I wasn't feeling anything because I was like doing whatever. And I was, you know, from like, it was very like, it solved the problems that I needed it to solve. It solved my like inability to feel comfortable in the world. Um, and that's like very much as how I got into drinking. And it's why I had to get sober because when I started drinking, I was like, this solves all my problems. Yeah. And unfortunately, like those things that I found that I was like, these are going to solve all my problems ended up creating their own problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very interesting, Barbara, because most of the time when you hear stories like this, where people turn to addiction or drugs, alcohol, an eating disorder, there's usually like a backdrop, you know, there's a abusive relationship or there was sexual abuse or any, something like traumatic, you know? But as you were saying, this was internal. You said you had anxiety from when you were a little child and, you know, the way you were eating or not eating 
was a way to solve problems or to be in control of your life, to feel like everything was right. So in a way, your story is like, it's a message for anyone who's listening right now that people don't need to go through a crazy trauma in their life or an abusive relationship or some sort of abuse to go down this path. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's important. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like I think everyone kind of has, whether we mean to or not, like everyone kind of has that picture of like what someone with an Israel looks like, what someone with an addiction looks like. And um, that's very, very rarely the actuality of the situation. I think it's important to recognize that like you don't need to be I can't say that I don't have any trauma in my life. I think most people have some sort of trauma in their yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Um, but I definitely, you know, when I tell my story and when I tell it ever, like there's no moment in time where I'm like, it was that act, that thing that happened to me. Like that didn't happen. Would not, will not give them up. Like, no. I am part of 12 step groups and like something that people say a lot is like I had like a, not, a lot of like not yet in my story like this didn't happen to me yet like I got sober before this happened to me kind of deal you know like I was never like I was never homeless while drinking or whatever or I was never which I wasn't or like I didn't you know fall in with an abusive person I didn't do any of that um which could have happened like and I think that's kind of why I tell my story is like, there isn't that like, that backdrop, there isn't that like stereotypical like situation happening. Like this is just, I didn't know how to deal with myself and how to exist in the world as I was. And like, I would have done anything to do that, to feel content. Do you think this could have been prevented in any way? I don't know that it could have been prevented. I think if I, if it hadn't been that, I think I would have found something else. Like, I think, I don't know what it would have been. I don't know if I could have, if we could have pushed it off by a few years. Like, I think regardless, I would have ended up finding something. Something. That I, yeah. yeah. You know, like I could argue that when I became like very religious, like I also threw myself fully into that. And like, that's yeah. not saying it's a bad thing. Like, it's fine. Everyone has their own connection with God and everyone has their own connection with religion. I think for me, like there's always that part of me that's searching for something, like searching for that thing that's going to make me feel like grounded and in myself and able to like fully show up. I would have ended up in therapy regardless. More yeah. of the story is. Yeah. Therapy and I are, I love therapy. Therapy is my favorite. Yes, I love it too. I think it's necessary. And I think therapy needs to be spoken about much more and that it's not a big deal. <laughs> Just like when you have pain in your stomach or you have a headache, you go to the doctor. When you're not, when you're feeling off and you're mentally not, you know, either stable or well, you should talk to someone. Maybe you should talk to someone, right? You should yeah. read that book, by the way. It's a great book. <laughs> I have read that book. It's amazing, so right? Good. Yeah, I loved it. 
Barbara, I'm wondering, I'm just curious, you know, for the parents who are listening to this, because I'm sure there are parents of children who have anxiety or, you know, these children who are perfectionists. Do you have anything that you can tell these parents to maybe calm down their fears of, oh my gosh, is my child going to like go have an eating disorder if they're a perfectionist or... I mean, I think one, I think one would be not everyone who relates to the world that way is going to end up with an eating disorder. I think, okay, good. <laughs> I think, you know, like I said, like there needs, like, I think if that was the case, there'd be many, many more people with eating disorders. Cause I think many, many more people have anxiety than have eating disorders. Yeah. Um, and two, I think honestly, like for me, you know, like I look back and like the one thing I kind of wish my parents had done was like, put me in therapy earlier. Like there are child therapists. There are people who do play therapy. Like there is, there are resources out there. So that way, like when it comes to them turning 13, 14, 15, like whatever, whatever adolescent age that we all get to where we're like, I hate everything. Yeah. They have those coping skills. Cause like, I know for me, like, I just felt like I had no way to cope with it. Like I didn't know what to do with it. And so like, I found whatever I could find. And I think you know, I, that's one thing I do wish, like, I wish I had, my parents had like put me into therapy, like before things got bad. Or do you feel like maybe, how was your relationship with your parents? Were you open? Do you feel like if you opened up to them about your struggles, maybe it would have helped? I think it depends. My relationship with my parents growing up was very like, Sometimes we talked about stuff. Sometimes we didn't. Like I have two younger siblings. And so like, if I wasn't at a sports thing or a theater thing or whatever else I was doing, like one of them was out at my brother's soccer game or my sister's softball game or, and that's not saying that's a bad thing. Like it was just like, we were a very, like, we didn't do the like nightly family dinner thing. Like it was a very like hectic, like we have stuff going on household. Um, And I think, you know, I also think to a certain extent, like, especially pre everyone talking about therapy all the time, which is relatively new. Yeah. Um, I feel like in the last like year or two. Right. Like the pandemic started yeah. and everyone's like, we all need help. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think prior to that, like, I don't know that even I would have had the wording that I needed. Like, I don't know that I would have been able to be like, I need help. Yeah. Um, Cause no one I knew really was like, I knew very few people who were in therapy. Normally we were all like, why? Like, And my parents, I don't think really ever knew anyone who's in therapy. Like, I think, you know, had I even been like, I'm really struggling. I don't know that they would have known to do that. Like, I don't think it was as commonly spoken about. And I for sure wouldn't have known. Like, I would have been like, I don't really know what's going on. (laughs) Interesting. You know, it's interesting that you, you went on a birthright trip. And then from that birthright trip, you went on this Kirov trip and then you just went like head on. You went, you went all the way to the other extreme. I you did. Said, yeah. Yeah. You said you studied in Harnof and uh, Neve and then you went to Sharim or something. Yeah. Right. So I'm actually curious to know if delving hardcore into religion and learning about all these facets of Judaism 
did that help you with your anxieties and your eating disorder? Or do you feel like maybe that exacerbated it? Or somewhere in between? I think it was somewhere in between. I think that helped me a lot with um, like 12 step programs rely on the idea that you believe in a power greater than yourself. And so I think a lot of that really helped me with like my connection to God, my connection to something bigger than myself. And that belief that like, there is a force in the universe that is watching over me and wants the best for me. And I think going that far and learning all of that and like really seeing that was really helpful. Um, and it's something I still really hold on to. Um, I also, for me personally, and like everyone has a different experience with religion for me personally, like having such a defined set of rules to live by was great because I constantly feel like I don't have control over my life. And so this Mm. was a great thing because I was like, I have literally, I can't mess it up. Like there are defined rules for everything. And mm-hmm. if you don't know the answer, some dude does. <laughs> like some dude with a book has the answer that I need. Mm-hmm. And so that was really great until that started to feel very suffocating for me because I also was like, I don't love the fact that I'm turning over all of my control to, to other people who I may other or may people. not. people. Right. right. And I think that was kind of my... And that's still something I really struggle with, like as I'm figuring out where I want, where my like middle line is when it comes to Judaism of like, I don't necessarily want to be a part of the community that I was a part of. I love the people. They're my favorite. I mean, they're some of my closest people in my life. Um, One of my very best friends lives in Lakewood. Nice. (laughs) Constantly like trying to get me to move to Lakewood. And I'm like, I'm not moving to Lakewood. (laughs) No offense to anyone in Lakewood, but I'm not moving to Lakewood. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that's something that I'm still trying to figure out as I like, kind of like step back and like, I'm not in such a, I guess a bubble yeah. of like, so what do I believe in when it comes to Judaism? Like yeah. what, what, I, what do I want to turn over and say like, you know, like, what do I want to hold to? Like I, at this point, like I keep kosher and like, that's very important to me. And like, and at the same time, like I ask myself a lot of questions of like, do I, does the God I believe in care that I'm wearing pants versus a skirt? And like some people would say yes, and that's fine. But for me, it became so like, I'm doing this because I'm part of a community and this is what I'm being told to do. And so this is what I do, that it's now important for me to be able to step back and be like, what connection does this bring me? And like, why am I doing it? Why am I doing this? Right. And, the questioning know. is helping you connect to God and, right. and I think that's, your own process. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, about doing that. I think yeah. there's a lot of like, you're either, you know, you're either, my friends and I joke all the time, like you're either on the derrick or off the derrick. There's no like in between. <laughs> and I'm always like, okay. I'm like, okay, but I can't have my foot on both. Um, yeah. And, you know, like that in and of itself is a journey of like healing and finding myself. And I think despite the fact that people don't think that's a real thing, like, I think it's going okay so far. I'm, you know, I feel like God and I are on pretty good terms as far as I know. 
he may have different feelings about it. It's personal. I think our relationship to God is personal and it's no one else's place to judge our relationship with God. It's fascinating because I think so many times we just, we use other people as like a barometer as to how we need to connect to God, but everybody has a different way of connecting. There is no perfect Jew. There is not any Jew who keeps all 613 misfot to the T. And sometimes like observing religion can kind of turn into some sort of OCD. Like there's lots of commentaries on it. Like therapists talk about it, how people use religion so much to the extreme that it becomes like an obsessive thing. Yeah. And it's good. Yeah. I think it's so, it's so, it can be so, it's such a, like, it's such a fine line. And I think, you know, listen, if someone's able to keep all 613 meets vote and like rock it out, like good for them. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think I, you know, I, I said something once to someone and I was like, you know, if I like get up to Shemayim at 120 years and God's biggest thing with me is that I wore shorts, I think I did pretty well. Like I was like, if that is the biggest thing that comes out of me after 120 years is God's like, you wore shorts. Right. Like I hope, I hope that is the biggest thing I do. I hope that is like the biggest issue, like most harm I commit is my clothing. Yeah. And as like, crazy as that sounds like I think you know religion for me has been both has caused has been difficult and has been immensely healing I think my relationship with God is very much part of my journey very much and I think my journey through Judaism is very much part of my story and my like you know it's on my Instagram it's something that I'm open about it's something that I don't hide from, despite the fact that like posting about typically gets me some really not nice comments on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And people re- very recently figured out that I hold Israeli citizenship and we're not happy about that either. And I was yeah, like, exactly. And at the end of the day, like that's I'm very unapologetically Jewish. And that's part of my journey and part of who I am. Yeah. I can't help but notice that your tattoos on your arms we're going to yeah. talk about that. Don't think I wasn't going to ask you about that. Oh, yeah. I want to know about your tattoo process. When did you get them? Why yeah. did you feel like you needed to get them? Because I also see that. I see it with a lot of people where, where people who've gone to therapy or rehab. Getting a tattoo is kind of something that is cathartic or healing for them. I don't know if that's the case with you. So, yeah, explain your story with your tattoos. <laughs> so I got my first quite a few of my tattoos when I was like 18, 19. Um and have gotten some very recently. Um and I think for me like kind of what I was saying earlier is like I have this very intense like stance about like my bodily autonomy. That like this is my body to do with as I please. Um And for so long, that meant to me that like, I could destroy it. Like I could starve it. I could drink it and whatever else into submission. Like this was mine. And like, you couldn't, no one could tell me what to do with it. 
um which is like not the most like jewish stance but that is what it was right um right and my tattoos came from a very similar but different place of like this is my body like I can do with it what I want and like if that means I want to put flowers all over it I can and I my parents because my parents are Jewish parents they were like what are you doing yeah um they've since gotten over it but yes my first few tattoos my parents were very like not pumped yeah they're still not pumped but they're over it um I don't think any parents would be happy about it (laughs) let's just say you know I grew up in a sport where like my body was not my own my body belonged to my sport and I grew up doing whatever I was and I grew up in reality I spent my adolescence in and out of treatment centers where my body was very much not in my control what I ate was very much not my, my control and for me getting tattoos is like the ultimate statement of like no, this is mine. Like I do have consent. I have consent over what happens to my body. And if my, if I decide to use that consent for covering it in what I think is really pretty art, then like, that's what I, that's what I use it for. And did you get any heat from the Kirov community when you were in Israel? I never got heat for it in those circles. There is, I think partially because there is a disagreement about what to do there's the side that says if you already have a tattoo you leave it because the the sin around it is getting it having it is not the problem getting it is the problem and there's an argument for people who will say to remove them and the people who are like you already have it also say that like you're not supposed to cause harm to your body and the way tattoo removal works is by creating a new scar and so oh interesting I never thought about that the way you remove it is with like a laser and it's like burning the ink out. And so there's an argument that like, you're simply re-harming yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas like having the tattoo itself is no longer committing the sin. Right. I and mean, I've seen like religious, I mean, I've seen Orthodox rabbis who obviously are, you know, Balteshuva who have tattoos on their arms because yeah, I, they had I, before. Right. I think the growth of the Bali Chuba movement is really bringing in a lot of people who have tattoos, who have these things. And so for the most part, I never really ran into issues with it. Um, the only time I really ran into issues with like, would be like with like religious children who didn't understand because I have one on my forearm and I did not always cover my forearms because mm-hmm. you don't do. And yeah. um, so those were the times where I would run into problems. And most of the times the parents were great about it and would just be like, we don't ask people about those things. Or like, she did that before she was religious. Or like, usually there's like a line that parents have, especially if they're working in like the cure of Bali Chuva world. They normally have their like, this is what we say to our kids when people show up with like weird stuff happening. Um, so I really didn't. I really didn't face too much stuff about it. Um, and I've gotten some tattoos now since I stopped being as religious. And I was talking to my friend who lives in Lakewood, who I adore. And she, I was just like, I was talking about it. And I was like, every time I do it, there's just a slight part of me that's worried that like the people in my life are going to be like, how dare you? And she was like, if we haven't left by now, like we're, we're not going anywhere. And I was like, that's a good point. That's amazing. You know, I'm fascinated and- by this relationship you have with your friend from Lakewood 
Is she, was she always religious or? No, so she's also Bathsheba. Um, we met. She grew up like you? She grew up like me. She grew up in Philly. Um, Does she have tattoos too? <laughs> no. Um, but she is a Bathsheba. We met, we actually like missed each other the first times we were in STEM and had very similar friend groups. And then we both went back to seminary and ended up in the same dorm um she and yeah she when we both she's happily married and has a child um who is the cutest I love this kid um and it's a great friendship she and I I was engaged at one point and she and I got engaged two weeks apart we were supposed to get married a few days apart she obviously got married and I didn't um that's beautiful that you guys are still in touch, even though you live very different lives. You know, she's, first of all, she's married, has a kid, you're single, you don't have that, different lifestyles, different religious ways of thinking, but you're still, she's like one of your closest friends. Oh yeah, I call her with all of my problems. That's amazing. Yeah, I think honestly, a lot of it is just, it's so nice and it's so nice to be able to, when people are like, well, like religious people don't talk to non-religious people. I'm like, one of my best friends lives in Lakewood. Wow. It's fascinating. Or it's really like some of my closest friends are like very much religious. I like was just walking around downtown Chicago the other day with a friend of mine who's very religious. She was like completely snua and like I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt and like we were walking and like- That's, oh, wow. No questions asked. And like, it's a really, really beautiful thing. Yeah. Because people usually go towards the people they're like attracted towards the people who look like them, who dress like them, wear the same shaitals as them, or just have the same lingo and lifestyle. That's who people cling to. But you're showing us today that no, that's not true. You can be friends from all different walks of life. You don't need to follow the same things, think the same way, dress the same way. It's, it's remarkable. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think it's really special. I'm like, I definitely, I don't take it for granted that I like found very incredible people. It's beautiful. How do you practice your Judaism today? My Judaism today is like I said, I keep kosher. Um, and that's very important to me. I've been doing that in some capacity since like high school. Um, and I still say the Shema every night. I've been doing this since I was like 10. Um, and I talk to God like very much regularly. And I think for me, like that is so much of what Judaism is about. It's about that relationship between me and God. And that's what I do. I light Travis candles. Like it's very, very basic stuff. Um, what does like, that mean to you? What does Judaism mean to you? Judaism is, it's so much to me. It is something that has always been part of my life. It's something that's always tethered me to who I am, whether it was like in a youth group or in STEM or now, or, you know, whatever it might be. Like it is that knowledge that like I'm as much as I may feel alone at any given point like I'm not and God that's is why, always there right and that's why you know like people at one point were like 
what like what type of I was talking to a friend once and she was like on a bus and someone was like well what type of Jew are you and she was like she's like I'm a Jew and there's a God and there's a Torah and like that is to this day my definition like I am a Jew there is a God there is a Torah and like whatever my relationship with those two things are is fluid but at the end of the day like those are things that I know about and that's like, that's what my Judaism is today. It changes, it's fluid. Maybe one day I'll be back on the derech. Maybe I won't be, who knows? I think we're all on the road. Everyone's think, on the road. Even if we fall off, we get back on the road. I we can go I, backwards, forwards. We're all on the road. I agree. I, I definitely, I agree. Um, I think it's all a journey and I think I don't really know where it'll leave me, but you know, like I said, like I'm a Jew, there's a God, there's a Torah. I love that. I love that, Barbara. Barbara, if you can send a message for any young girl who's listening to this podcast with everything that you've gone through, that you're still going through, what's one message you would like to share? I think that as big as something may seem right now, nothing is the end of the world. Love that. Because I think we all had those moments where we're sitting there and we're like, this is it. Like it's never ending. And it, it does. Everything passes, all feelings pass, moments pass. Nothing, nothing is the end of the world. And nothing lasts forever. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And Barbara, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your story. I know there's so much more. I actually wanted to ask you so many more questions, but this is only like an hour-ish type of podcast. But I definitely, I would love to pick your brain much more, you know, offline and for all sure. Always there, always, always on Instagram. So I'm yes. always there. And I know you talk about lots of various topics, whether it's anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism. You also speak about eating disorders because you had your own eating disorder journey. And you also speak about being sober. How long have you been sober for? It will be four years in August. Wow, Mazal Tov. Bezrat Hashem. Ad stream till 120, you should be sober, happy, healthy. So you speak about that as well. So if someone wants to contact you to either get help or ask some questions, where can they reach you? Definitely in my like messaging on my Instagram account. Always okay, the best awesome. Can you just state your Instagram account for those who don't know? Yes. So it's at being underscore fearlessly underscore me. Um, I debate changing that like every other week and then never do because I can't come up with anything better. And it's been the same one for like three years. So everyone knows where to find me. Um, I love it. Th- that's what, thank you. People tell me that all the time. I'll like make a story and be like, what should I change it to? But like, don't change it. And I'm like, okay, but I'm bored, but I haven't changed it. So, well, for now it's good. For now it's there. Awesome, Barbara. Thank you so much for being here. And I look forward to having more conversations with you and seeing more of your amazing posts. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, 
please don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and feel free to reach out with feedback and questions. If you want to learn more about what I do, you can check out my Instagram page at coach.kk and check out the link in my bio. Let's connect.